0: when you're preaching on submission and your wife is looking over your shoulder. <laughs> I'm just saying. But why is this subject such a hot potato? Why, is, why does there seem to be this all out war between the sexes today? Actually, it's nothing new. Men and women have been putting the other down since time began. You remember Professor Henry Higgins in My Fair Lady? He said, I'd face a new edition of the Spanish Inquisition than to ever let a woman in my life. It was W.C. Fields who said, women are like elephants to me. I like to look at them, but I don't want one of them in my house. Lady Nancy Astor once remarked, I'm married beneath my level, all women do. <laughs> Ladies, you are like this. How are men like parking places? All the good ones are taken. When you find one, it's handicapped. <laughs> All right, now that we've got the lighter moments out of the way. (laughs) You know, from the very beginning, what God has created to be good and pure and noble, the devil has been constantly trying to destroy and tear apart. It's interesting to me that before God ever created a nation, Before God ever created the church, he created man and woman, Adam and Eve, and he made them a family. From the very beginning, we see Satan slithering his slimy body up to Eve, trying to divide the two of them, her and Adam. And ever since that day, the devil has been trying to destroy the institution of marriage. The Bible says, what God has joined together, let not man pull apart. You know, as I drive around Greensboro at times, I often look at houses and I think, I wonder if that is a home, if there is a home in that house. Because I'm always reminded of a time when I was working in Fort Worth when I was in seminary and I was doing construction for a man who went to our church and one day Preston and I was an older gentleman and he custom-built houses there in Fort Worth and we were riding through some of the neighborhoods where he had built some houses and I mean some great big nice beautiful houses and I remember Preston stopping one day, there was a house up on a hill, and he said, Rick, you see that house up there? He said, see how beautiful it is? He said, it looks beautiful on the outside. He said, but I can promise you, you wouldn't want to live on the inside of that thing. He said, I know the family in that house. I know the couple. And he said, they constantly fight, and they never seem to be happy. Why is that? The reason is, because a home is a family that is built upon the foundation of the Word of God. Amen. And if a marriage is not built upon the Word of God, then it's going to have struggles. It's going to have troubles. The Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. For one of the greatest tragedies we face today in America is the breakdown of the traditional Christian home. Those of us who are married should be working to fight against the effort of the devil to, do, to destroy our homes. We ought to be trying to learn about what the Bible says about how we can build strong families. Well, here in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul has instructions to help us to do just that. You might say, well, how, how does Paul, a bachelor, presume to give advice on marriage? The reason is that although Paul was not married, many believe he was not married, Paul knew the truth about marriage. As a spirit-filled believer, he was able to look at marriage and understand that it is supposed to picture the relationship that exists between Christ and his church. Now we have noted already in this chapter that Paul commands all believers to be filled with the Spirit. Look back there in verse 18. Paul says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Friend, it is never God's will for a Christian to be drunk. That is a sin. Drunkenness also leads to other sins. Because it makes a person lose control. But in contrast, the Holy Spirit makes us self-controlled and filled with a deep sense of joy. The Spirit makes us like Jesus. Our model for submission, for self-control. So how do we know if we're filled with the Spirit of God? Our worship of God and our relationship with other people are the signs, the indication that we're truly filled with God's Spirit. The way we worship... And the way we relate to other people. Let's look, go back, let's just review for a minute. In the first place, the spirit filled life will produce a heart of praise. Look what he says in verse 19. The Spirit-filled Christian is a singing Christian. Listen, if you come to church and you can't sing, if, you're, if you have problems you know, singing, or if you never have a song in your heart, if you never ha- are upbeat or feel the joy of the Lord and want to just bust out in song, there's probably something wrong uh, somewhere spiritually in your life. The Spirit-filled Christian is one. You don't have to carry a tune, okay? I just got an amen from my wife on that one. (laughs) Not really, but probably silently she did. You don't have to carry a tune to sing, but you ought to sing if you're filled with the Spirit of God. So, in the first place, the Spirit-filled life will produce a heart of praise. Second, the Spirit-filled Christian is a grateful Christian. That's what he says in verse 20. Let me ask you, are you known for ongoing thanksgiving or for one who's always complaining or murmuring or criticizing or pouting you see a spirit filled believer is thankful as a thankful person they're not complaining all the time when we consider what god has done for us as paul lays out in chapter 4 of this letter how can we not live with constant gratitude for his amazing grace that we've just sung about the final effect of the spirit's fullness as it relates um, uh, to the believer is submission look what he says in verse 21 that's where this text in verse 22 actually picks up from submitting to one another out of reference for christ now the idea of submission recurs again beginning in verse 22 going all the way through verse 9 of chapter 6 as it relates to the marital the parental and the vocational relationships of life and we're going to be looking at those relationships over the next several weeks we're going to look at the the marriage relationship we're going to look at uh, the, the relationship between parents and children, and then um, uh, the relationship between employers and employees. In that day, it was the masters and slaves. So when we're full of the Holy Spirit, we, as husbands and wives, as parents and children, as employers and employees, we will defer to one another, we will serve one another in the Spirit of Christ, you see, the Holy Spirit enables us to do what is not natural. It's not natural to submit to someone. It's not natural to give up our desires, our rights, our uh, ideas to, to for anybody else. If you don't believe that, just look out in the secular world today. It's just not natural. The only way that you and I can do this is through the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. John R. W. Stott puts it well. He says, The Holy Spirit is a humble spirit, and those who are truly filled with him always display the meekness and gentleness of Christ. It is one of their most evident characteristics they submit to one another. Friend, listen, if our marriages are to be successful, and I don't believe there's a person in this room who is married who does not want more than anything else, a successful marriage and a successful family life. But if we're going to have marriages that are successful, then we must not start with our experiences, but with the truth. Let me say that again. If you want a successful marriage, if we want a successful marriage, we cannot start with our experience. We must start with God's truth. If the truth is properly applied to our experience in marriage, the pieces will fall into place and we will have the kind of marriage that we have always desired. Here's what I want you to take from the message. The Spirit-filled wife and husband live together in submission and love for one another and in doing so, are a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. So let's look. This morning, ladies, we're going to be looking at your role in marriage, but here's what I am going to say to all of you ladies. Drag him back to church next Sunday because God's got a word for him. Um, so if you think that you know, you're getting the brunt of it today, just bring him back next Sunday. God's got a word for husbands. And I want to say this to you men. The role of the husband is a heavy responsibility under God when done properly. And in many cases, sadly, the husband is failing to live up to his role. It's not justification for the wife's lack of submission, but it is a a reason for understanding that so many wives today are unhappy dissatisfied and discouraged and just frustrated with their marriages so let's look i want to look in the first place at the spirit-filled wife who is a picture of the church well let's read beginning in verse 22 paul says wives Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now here Paul outlines the roles, the duties, and the priorities of the wife in relation to her husband's leadership. And first, he deals with the matter of the wife's submission. Look again at his exhortation. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, I will tell you, this is one of those texts a preacher would love to just skip right over. Um, uh, This is why, um, if you're going to preach through biblical books... Uh, You better be careful because you have to deal with these difficult subjects. And this morning, this is one of those difficult subjects. This subject of submission, friend, I just want you to understand something. This shocks our politically correct culture to read this. You can't imagine the number of couples today who will come and want to be married in the church and by a pastor, but one of the first things that they want to say is, we don't want the word submit anywhere in our ceremony. And all I can say to that is, well, then you don't want a Christian ceremony. Because you can't take out what God has instructed to be be included in a Christian marriage. And Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, the word submit is a word that sounds to the modern ear as if Paul is telling women, stay in your subservient place, accept your inferiority. However, that's not at all the thought that Paul has in mind. The word submit actually means to voluntarily place yourself under the authority of, or to willingly adapt and adjust yourself to the authority of another. So Paul was saying in effect to the wife, adapt yourself to your own husband, adjust to him. Well. Before I get into that, I want to just mention some things that um, what submission to a husband in marriage is not, okay? There are four things I want you to uh, write down if you're taking notes that submission is not. First of all, submission is not agreeing on everything. God gave all of us minds and he wants all of us to use the minds that he's given us. Submission does not mean that you, ladies, must agree with every opinion or idea of your husband. Secondly, submission does not mean that you do not try to influence your husband. If your husband is living in sin or unbelief, you certainly want to help change them So that they can overcome that sin or that they can overcome that unbelief and um, ultimately become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You wouldn't be a loving person if you didn't. Third, submission is not putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. You see, Christ is the wife's Lord. And for the Lord's sake, she will submit to her husband, but... The husband is not the wife's Lord. So wherever she must choose between the two, she will always choose Jesus over her husband. Fourthly, submission does not mean living or acting in fear. It doesn't mean that you walk around and you're in fear all the time of whether you're going to please your husband or upset your husband. That's not what submission is. So, Submission is not inferiority. It's not subordination. It's not subjection. It's not servanthood. Submission is when one of two equal partners voluntarily recognizes the God given position of the other one. That is the fulfillment of what God said to Eve after he created her and gave her to her husband, Adam she was according to genesis chapter 2 verse 18 she was to be a helper suitable for him she's not to be his rival she's not to be his slave she is to be her husband's partner um, his equal um, uh, and uh, um, uh, his uh, uh, companion they're to work together to accomplish The aims and goals that um, they have set down together. So the husband has a leadership role. But that in no way diminishes the worth of the wife. The husband is incomplete without the woman. And the woman is incomplete without the man. Um, Each for the other and both for the Lord. So wives... For you to submit does not mean you are inferior to your husband's. Can I just say to you, in many, many cases, the wife may be superior to the husband. She may be superior intellectually. I know that's true in my marriage. (laughs) You don't believe it? Just play some of those games with her. You'll find out how dumb you are and... How smart she is. So it, it doesn't mean that you're inferior to your husband in any way. It, whether it's intellectually, whether it's morally, whether it's emotionally. Um, uh, you could be the superior one in the relationship. But that has nothing to do with one's willingness to submit or not. So what I want to do is, I want to now give you um, uh, the, the reasons Paul says where to uh, the wives are to submit to the husband. Then I want to kind of just kind of tie it all together and uh, give you a uh, personal illustration and then um, uh, uh, application. So uh, let's keep reading. Um, in the second place, Paul deals with the manner of the wife's submission. Um, Paul says, Wives, submit to your husbands, look at this, as to the Lord. Now, that phrase, as to the Lord, does not mean the wife is to worship her husband as though he were the Lord, as I just said previously, but rather it means she is to yield to her husband in order to please her Lord, Jesus Christ. Everything we do in obedience to Christ should be done, for, first of all, for his glory and to please him. So, those to whom we are called to submit will not always inspire respect. Um, uh, some uh, will be thoughtless, some will be inconsiderate, some will be abusive, some will be ungrateful. But the spirit filled believer, in this case, the wife, submits because she's doing it as unto the Lord and not unto men, in this case, her husband. This explains, listen, this right here explains why, young people, listen to me. I know there's not as many of you in this service as there will be in the next service. But this right here explains why a Christian should only marry another Christian. Paul says, do not become unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Um, because the, the Bible says the wife is to submit to her husband, um, and it doesn't say whether he's a believer or an unbeliever. So, and, and so you put yourself in a very difficult spot if you end up marrying an unbeliever um, and then find yourself uh, in a submissive role to someone who is totally different from everything that you believe in and that you um, uh, hold uh, valuable. If the Christian is submitted to Christ, he or she will not try to establish a home that disobeys the word of God. Such a home invites civil war from the beginning. So, the manner of the wife's submission, submit as to the Lord. Look at the motive in verse 23. Paul says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So the wife's supreme motive for submitting to her husband is that according to Scripture, according to God's design for the family, the husband is her functional head. He is the head of the family, just as Christ is the head of the church. Now when Paul uses that term head, he didn't mean boss, guys. There are two possible words Which could be translated head in the Greek. The one word is the word arche. It means beginning or first things. It's the word that we you would use to denote first in power or presidents, like an archangel or the archbishop. That's not the word that Paul uses here, okay? It doesn't mean first. Um, uh, in power or first in presidents. Um, That's clearly what some men think but that's not what Paul means here. The second word for head is kephale. That's the word that Paul means here. Um, That means one who leads, not as a dictator but as the first one in battle. Um, Those of you who have been in the military, you know that there is um, a a person who, when you're out there in uh, war, when you're in battle, there is one who um, takes the lead, and that's the person that you follow in battle. That's the word that Paul uses here, the one who is out front leading the way through the battle. It's about taking the lead in matters of importance. For example, the head gives direction. The body responds to the head. John MacArthur puts it this way. A physical body that does not respond to the direction of the head is crippled, paralyzed, or spastic. Likewise, a wife who does not properly respond to the direction of her husband manifests a serious spiritual dysfunction on the other hand a wife who willingly and lovingly responds to her husband's leadership as to the lord is an honor to her lord an honor to her husband her family her church and herself she is also a beautiful testimony to the lord before the world around her finally paul gives the model of the wife's submission look in verse 24 now as the church submits to christ so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands friend. the supreme and ultimate model of submission is the lord himself jesus gave his own sinless life to save a sinful world he is the perfect provider he is the perfect protector and head of the church jesus is the divine role model for husbands who should provide for their wives and their families, who should protect them, who should preserve them, who should love them and lead them um, as Christ cares for his church. And I can assure you that when a wife sees that in her husband and as the husband fulfills the responsibilities that uh, Paul outlines in verses 25 through 33, she is not going to have a problem submitting to her husband's leadership. Many years ago, when Nancy and I were leaving seminary and going to our first church, we um, were going up to the panhandle of Texas. <laughs> and if you've ever seen an ugly spot in your life, it is the panhandle of Texas. I think every tree they've got planted out there they brought in from North Carolina. Um, There are not a lot of trees out there. Um, I'd I'd never seen that wide open space anywhere uh, before in my life. We had gone to the little town of Panhandle. They had called us up there in view of a call, and um, we had met with the church. We had seen the town, which wasn't much. It was a, a little one road town um, with some shops on either side of the road. and You could, you know, um, uh, the big thing on Friday nights was for the teenagers to ride downtown. Well, it didn't take them long to do that. Um, <clears throat> you know, you went down one stre- stretch and that was it. Um, but I remember after that weekend, getting back on the uh, plane there in Amarella and I said to Nancy, I asked her this question. I said, well, what do you think? What do you think about this whole situation? And I have never forgotten what she said to me on that plane that day as we were waiting for the plane to taxi and then take off. Without even hesitating, she said, it doesn't matter what I think. Now, she wasn't saying that her opinion wasn't important. She wasn't saying that I don't have a voice in this. But when she said, it doesn't matter what I think, she then said, Rick, I trust that you have prayed about this. And I trust that you are following God. And because of that, I'm willing to trust and follow you here. Because I trust that you believe this is where God wants us. Can I just tell you? That is what Paul is talking about right here. Doesn't mean that she doesn't have an opinion. Doesn't mean that her voice doesn't count. But what she was saying was, I trust that you have prayed about this. And what she was also saying is, you have a heavy responsibility in this decision. Because the burden is on you if we come here. Because whatever happens will be on you. But I want you to know, I trust you in this. Let me just fast forward about a year and a half. From that moment. We both believed it was God's will. For us to go there. And I want to tell you something. It was the absolute. Hardest. Most difficult. Hurtful. Time in all of our years. Of ministry. As far as. Ministry itself goes. I remember watching that. Young lady, come in the house one night, the little parsonage we lived in. We got in the front door. She, I had barely got in the front door, and she turned around, threw her arms around my neck, and started bawling. And she said, I never thought I'd say the day I hated going to church. You could have stuck a knife in my heart, and it wouldn't have hurt me any worse because I realized I'm the one that was responsible for us being in that place. And as her protector and her provider and her husband, I felt hurt for her. And I wanted her to know that as hard as this was at the time, I believed God would see us through this. Now, if I had the opportunity to get her to stand up here today, she would testify like I am right now to tell you, as hard as that was, here's where the blessing came out of that. Because the both of us were in sync. Because the both of us made a mutual decision together. Me, believing it was God's will. Her, trusting that and following putting her faith in the Lord and in me, that was the right decision. Even as difficult as that decision turned out to be, 30-some years later, we would both tell you those two difficult years in ministry were also the best years of our life. You know why? Because we drew closer together during that time than we ever thought possible and because of that because we had formed a team and a partnership God used that to strengthen our marriage and prepare us for other trials down the road here's all I want you to understand this morning I don't have a magic formula I don't have I am not a marriage counselor. Lord knows Nancy could get up here and tell you. We've still got things we wrestle with. But I know this. She and I both know. When you do it God's way. When you follow his guidelines. Your marriage. Is going to be. The most fruitful. The most blessed experience. You could ever hope. Or imagine. Because. God always blesses faithfulness. God always blesses obedience. And God always honors those who honor him. So I don't have anything to say to you today, any different than what you've already heard, but here is my plea to you. Please, quit listening to the voices of the world outside who tells you that you are A strong person. And a strong person doesn't submit to anyone. Can I just say to you, the very opposite is truth. The stronger person is the person who is willing to humble themselves and submit. Why? You want an example? Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven. The Son of God. To come to this earth. And what did he do? He submitted to the will of the father. He left the glories of heaven. Came to this earth. And then submitted himself. To the very likes. Of people like you and me. And went to the cross. And died. On our behalf. Why? Simply because. He had submitted himself. To the father's will. And simply because he loved this world so much. And I would say to you this morning, and I would encourage you, don't do it for anyone else. Do it for the Lord. And when you do it for the Lord, God will honor that and God will bless it. And so this morning, I just want to just say, do you want a happy marriage? Do you want a fulfilling marriage? Do you want a better marriage than maybe you've had up to this point? I don't have any secret formula. I don't have any tricks. But I do have this book. And I know when we abide by this, God always blesses it. And I believe it's time that the church got back to the teaching of God's word. And we listen to what God says. And not what the world is saying. And we started doing. As God is leading us. Now men. That means. You and I have a responsibility as well. And next Sunday. God's got a word. For us. About how we. Are to love. Those special people that he puts in our lives those wives so that they will never have any regret for being with us spending their life with us and they will never question this whole idea of submission why would you question submitting to someone who loved you so much that they would be willing to die for you and that's what Paul says Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Stand with me if you will. <laughs> with your head bowed and your eyes closed across this auditorium, I just. I'm just going to be honest with you today. I wrestled with this text all week because I know the jokes that are made about this text. I know the criticism, and and I know that reading scripture and looking at our real life situations—it's difficult. I get that. For friend, I've, I'll be honest. I've been praying this week, Lord. Just let me get out of the way. And let them just hear you speaking to their heart, to your word. Challenge all of us, Lord, that we can all do better. We husbands can be better leaders in our home. We can certainly love our wives better. Wives, I don't know what God is saying to you this morning. I don't know how difficult it may be in your relationship. I don't know how unhappy you are. I don't know how frustrated and empty you feel. But I know this. Nothing's ever going to change. Until you're willing to take the first step. Not for your husband's sake. But for the Lord's sake. And you just simply say. Lord. I can't control my husband. I can't control anyone else. But I can only control me. And I know what your word says. And Lord. From this point forward, with all of my heart, with all of my being, I'm going to try to be the wife. Not that everybody else expects me to be. Not that the world tells me I should be. But to be the spirit-filled wife that you have called me to be in your word. I wonder today if there's some couples who would just be willing to lead out. Take that wife, take that husband by the hand and just come down here to this altar. And by doing so, you're just saying, you know what? We don't have a perfect marriage, but we want the best marriage that we could ever hope to have. And we're willing to do whatever God wants us to do in order to ensure that husbands this would be a good time to take the lead and just take that